Take your Bibles, if you would, and tonight we're going to start the last part of our series, uh, The Types and Pictures of Christ. And uh, we've been through people pictures, physical pictures, and then pictures of Christ in the tabernacle. And uh, boy, it doesn't matter how many times you go through this information uh, and go through these things. As I was preparing this lesson, I still found some really neat and new things to me, uh, things that I'm sure were there. Uh, It's just that we don't often see them as we go. And let's start in Exodus chapter 27. And uh, what we're going to do here is just uh, go through the furniture and the buildings. Lord willing, uh, next Thursday night, we will be going through the offices and the... um, Um, the uh, offices and the sacrifices and uh, trying to get all of that in on one night and kind of finish this up. But the first part uh, of the tabernacle is the door. Uh, It's not a door like we have right here. Uh, The tabernacle means tent. It was a movable it was a, uh, a movable item. It really was basically a tent. It had a linen barrier. Now, uh, most of you ladies know what linen is, correct? Uh, it's a very durable, somewhat coarse fabric. Uh, it's made from, I believe, linen comes from flax. And they roll that out and they make thread with it and they sew material. Well, this linen barrier was about seven foot tall. And it stretched 100 feet on one side of the tabernacle, 50 feet across the back of the building, another 100 feet down the side, and then 50 feet across the front. And on the eastern side of that tabernacle, as it was always set up, the door would always be facing east. And here in Exodus chapter 27, it gives us the idea here in verse 16. We're going to start reading. It says, And for the gate of the court shall be in hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four. Now, that's the door. Now, if you want to start reading in verse 10 and read uh, several, it talks about this linen barrier. It was called the court. It was a wall of separation. What went on in the tabernacle, what the tabernacle was about, was about a word that we do not hear much of today. And that is the word holy. Now, if you hear the word holy today, it's usually included as a phrase of profanity. And uh, that's not what the word holy means. In fact, uh, the word holy means separate. If you want to take one attribute of God. One thing that sets God apart far above and beyond anything else. My conclusion, what the Bible teaches us, it would be God's holiness. Because He is different than we are. Amen? He is pure. He is clean. There is no sin. There is a separation. Um, 
I can't remember who I was talking. I think it was Credo last night. He was making tapes and and uh, he was talking about uh, what was that mafia something and why everybody wants uh, to be mafia. You know why do they want to be the Don and everybody has this fascination with you know John Gotti and all of these people and what is it and it and it really goes back to man's initial sin in the Garden of Eden. People want to be God. They want to be in charge of everything. They want to be able to say, off with his head. And it happened. They want that kind of power. And that's why they dream about those things. And that's why some men try it. But uh, just so you don't get carried away, look what happened to the quote-unquote gods of this world. John Gotti died like a dog in federal prison from throat cancer. And uh, his sons and nephews and everybody that's known to him is either in jail, on trial, or just wait, they're working on it. Uh, they'll be one of the above. And if they don't get put on trial and put in prison, they usually end up in a body bag at a crime scene somewhere. Now, that's not life, my friend. But people like that kind of stuff for some reason. You get, if you like that kind of stuff, get your liker fixed, amen? Uh, don't desire that. That's, that is a cheap imitation. It's man's desire to be God. When God set up this tabernacle, He put a barrier of separation because there is no connection between man and God except for the fact that God created us in His image but what was the first thing we did with that? We marred that image by sin. And that's what Sunday school lesson is actually going to be about on Sunday morning is about how sin entered the world and we, did, we marred or we uh, maimed that image that God created us in. And as we look at this tabernacle, the first thing we see is this barrier. Now, it was seven foot tall. Not a one of us could see over a seven-foot fence. I mean, it was linen. It was big enough that even the little bit of transparency that linen has when the sun shines behind it and different things, uh, you wouldn't be able to see what was going on in the order and the sacrifices. And as the priest moved around, you might hear some things, yes, but you would not be able to see or partake. And, and by the way, it was a linen barrier, and it was on posts uh, that were spaced uh, about 30 feet apart, and uh, that linen was strung between those. Do you think you could climb a linen fence? Nothing to grab a hold of. I mean, you would make... Uh, as, as we talk about the security and things... You can't keep someone out that doesn't want to get in, but you make it so they make so much noise trying to get in that it's not worth the effort, right? Uh, that they attract enough attention to themselves. And by the way, uh, we have a lot of things happening in history, but the Bible never records anyone trying to peek under the linen fence or climb over it or trying to, uh, to uh, desecrate that barrier it was for all practical purposes an impenetrable barrier between the world and God 
That's where you and I live today. But on the east side, there was a door. Amen? There was an opening. Because God wants us to have fellowship with Him. The only problem is God is holy. We are not. And if you're going to come to God, you're going to come to God His way. Not your way. Not my way. Not the Baptist way. Not anybody's way. God's way. Um, I can't remember. I believe somebody asked uh, one of the uh, founding fathers, it may have actually been George Washington during the Revolutionary War, and said, uh, General Washington, do you believe God is on our side in this conflict? And uh, General Washington said, it is not whether God is on our side or on the other side. It is we who need to be on his side. And that's what this tabernacle is all about. It's got to be God's way or no other way. We want to line up with God. We should not, as human beings, expect God to line up with us. And so, as we look at this door, and there's an interesting thing, the tabernacle was made to be taken down, and in a matter of hours, this entire complex called the tabernacle could be taken down, packed up into carts. Some of the items were, the furniture itself was carried on the shoulders of the Levites, and this entire unit would be packed up in just a few hours and transported to the place that God would have them to be, and it would be re-erected, but the door always opened to the east. Interesting point there. Um, what comes up in the east every morning? The S-U-N. And the door always faced the S-O-N. Amen. Is a picture. See, there's neat little things in here, aren't there? Because Jesus, and, and we're going to get to this in a moment, is the light. Amen. But that's on the inside. Um, it was the only means of entry. Now let's turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Uh, John chapter 10. I'm sorry, John chapter 10. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of John and in the book of Hebrews and in the book of Exodus. Now, don't try to stick your fingers in all three places because you end up tearing Bible pages. you just got to learn to turn. Amen. And I'm already in the book of Acts and still heading the wrong direction here. John chapter 10, John chapter 10, and Jesus makes a statement here. Verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I 
am the what? Door. I'm the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear their voice. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now we read on down through here and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He talks about how the hireling fleeth and lets the sheep uh, be attacked when they come. And in verse 17, he sums it up. Or, uh, he says, Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to take it again. This commandment, have I received of my Father. Now, just turn over a couple of pages in your Bible. John chapter 14, verse 6, a verse that uh, if you have not put in your heart, if you have not memorized this verse, mark it and put it down. This is one of those verses you need to memorize, you need to know. Jesus saith unto him, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The tabernacle was where God met man. There is only one door. That door is Jesus Christ. There is only one way you can approach to God. I am so glad I'm standing here tonight and I can tell you that you cannot get to God through the Baptist church. In fact, if you haven't already gotten to God, you have no place and you can't be a part of this church until after you've already met God and have a relationship with Him. The church is for after salvation, not before it. And Jesus said, listen, if you're going to come to the Father, you've got to come through me. No church died for you on the cross. Jesus did. No church has a corner on truth. Now, here's the problem. How many different kinds of churches do we have? Gazillions. There's 150 mainline divisions in the Baptist group alone, all right? You can find Baptist churches that are as formal and ritualistic as any high church you ever want to meet in your life. And you can find churches called Baptists that, uh, uh, well, for all practical purposes, are more wild than any charismatic church you'd ever care to visit. And uh, you can find churches that have all kinds of traditions and all kinds of things. And, and I'll just speak to the Baptist. I'll tell you, uh, the simple truth is tonight, you need to have a living relationship with a living Savior. And you're going to meet him at the door. That's where your relationship with God begins. He is the one that opens himself. It is through Jesus Christ we have access to God. If you're going to get to heaven, you've got to go through Jesus Christ. Somebody... Talk to, tells a story in Chicago. Uh, there's a, a mission down in the very 
uh, darkest districts of Chicago, and it's called the Pacific Garden Mission. Now, why it's called the Pacific Garden Mission, downtown Chicago, off uh, Lake Superior, I don't know, but that's what they've called it. It's been there since the 1880s, and it has been a, a beacon, a place where people can stop and hear the gospel. In fact, uh, if you listen to some Christian radio stations, I don't believe you can hear the program in New York City. It's called Unshackled. And uh, if you ever get to hear that, it's a wonderful program to listen to. It is the story of people's lives who have been changed by Jesus Christ. But I preface that to just tell you this story right here was just down the street. I don't know if it's there anymore. There used to be a bar called the Gates of Hell. And uh, somebody was asking direction and they would tell you, uh, one guy was telling direction. He said, I want to go to the Gates of Hell. I want to go to that bar. And uh, he said, well, you, you get ever on what street? And I can't remember the name of the street there in Chicago. And it says, you'll see a big cross. If you'll just go beyond the cross, the Pacific Garden Mission, you can get to the gates of hell. Do you get it? If you'll go beyond the cross, if you go beyond Jesus Christ, you'll find the real gates of hell. Only problem is you're not getting out. Jesus is the door, amen? There was only one. It always faced the same direction. And Jesus is there for you and I. He even said, I'm the door. Now, it's interesting. We've talked about this before. There are some pictures that Jesus paints of himself that people like to take literally and others that they like to take figuratively. Uh, did Jesus actually become some kind of barrier and hang on hinges that you have to push back and forth in order to get into heaven. You say, Pastor, you're being ridiculous. Yeah? And so are the other people who overemphasize the physical reality of the things that Jesus said, I am. He's the shepherd. That makes you and I sheep. But if you start walking around going, bah, all the time and eating grass, uh... I'm going to tell you, see your doctor, amen? Again, Jesus is giving us a spiritual picture because who knows what the absolute number one classic characteristic of sheep is? Dumb. That's the classic characteristic of sheep. Sheep will walk right off a cliff to their own demise if the shepherd's not there to stop them. And uh, by the way, doesn't that sound all too much like the reflection we see in the mirror? But aren't you glad the shepherd's there? Amen. He's there to protect us. He's there to keep us. And by the way, sheep don't live in the pig pen. Isn't that good? Sheep don't like. I mean, they may get dirty and sheep may stink once in a while. But sheep don't live in the pig pen. Neither does God's children. Amen. And so let's move on. As you would walk into the door of the tabernacle, the gate, the, the linen hanging there, the first thing you would see is the brazen altar. There would always be a fire burning on that altar of brass. And, and it was made with wood. 
and it was covered with brass, and we don't have time to go all that, but the brazen altar is a picture of you and I. The brazen altar is a picture of the death of ourself. We've got to get rid of ourselves. Brass is a picture of judgment. We need God's judgments to constrain and discipline and train our human nature so that we can be a service to God. Amen? That's not something that happens naturally. There is no one that is naturally or born or uh, uh, originates as a Christian. You must become one. You must be made a Christian. You must enter in the door. That is a willful decision that must be made on your part to come through Jesus Christ to accept His grace. The brazen laver held clean water for the washing of the priest as he did his service. That's a picture of the Word of God. Not the cleansing from sin and salvation, but the cleansing from the daily defilement as we serve the Lord. Then there was another single door that led into the holy place. And as we would part that veil and walk into the holy place, on our right hand, as we would walk in, would be the next item that we're going to look here, the table of showbread. Now let's turn to Exodus chapter 25, and we're going to read the verses here. And it doesn't look like we're going to finish this page tonight, but we're going to try. Exodus chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 23. It says... Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood, that's known as acacia wood today. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereunto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of a hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about, and thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners thereof, on the four feet thereof, over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and the ta that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal of pure gold shalt thou make them, and thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. Turn over to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus chapter 24, and we're going to read the Bible definition of the showbread so you understand what that is. Leviticus chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 5. And it would help if I were in the right books. I'm sorry. Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 5. It says, And thou shalt make, and thou shalt take, and thou shalt take fine flour, and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenth deals shall be in one cake, and thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. 
And it shall be Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord, made by fire, by a perpetual statute. Now, this is called the table of showbread. The reason it is called showbread, it comes from the Old English word shew, S-H-E-W, and it simply means show or to make a show in the presence of God. This bread was always shown or in the presence of God and it was fresh every Sabbath. The bread never got stale. It's only ingredients, flour and water. As we read in the book of Exodus, this table was made out of wood. This acacia wood, shittim wood, as it's, as it's called in the Bible, is the most, one of the most durable woods known to mankind. Uh, it is a wood that does not rot. The closest thing we would have uh, in America that we would call would be a uh, chestnut tree. Now, we have very few chestnut trees left because of... Um, or whatever that thing was, it was a moth that came in and, and destroyed almost all of the chestnut trees in the United States. But uh, that was back in the 20s. But you'll see homes that were built before then. In fact, I've been in houses when we were looking for buildings in the story that had chestnut pillars that were near 100 years old and just as fresh today as they were the day that they were put in. In fact, if you're ever out in the country, you may see an old chestnut fence. And it will look like uh, the most rotten old fence in the world until you go over and knock on one of those pieces of wood and you'll find out that thing is hard and strong. It just never rots. Now imagine taking that wood that never rots and overlaying it, encasing it with pure gold. It would be in essence, indestructible. It would last immemorial. In fact, uh, there are some people who still believe that this original table of showbread and the original Ark of the Covenant are buried in the catacombs, in the caves underneath the city of Jerusalem. And, and uh, some people uh, talk like they know where it's located. They, they just can't get it out. The last time the Jews were trying to excavate in that area was the beginning of what was called the Infatata, the last four years of violence and suicide bombings. That was all sparked off because the Jewish authorities allowed uh, Jewish scholars to begin excavating and begin exploring under the Temple Mount. And, and the Arab world went insane because they're somehow afraid that they're going to find something down there that's going to prove that the Jew was a lot older than Islam. Isn't it awful to be afraid of the truth? But so many people are. Now this table was a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a man, is a man, amen? He took upon him human nature. Where you see wood in the tabernacle, you see the nature of man. Where you see pure gold in the tabernacle, you see the nature of God. Anywhere you see pure gold overlaid with wood, you see a picture of Jesus Christ. He was the God-man. And the bread was on the table. It's interesting. What was the bread for? 
It was food for the priest. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word which proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. In John chapter 6, and we went over this uh, before as we talked about the manna in the wilderness, how that Jesus said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. The bread which I give is my flesh, which I give for the sins of the world. Now, did Jesus say that we were supposed to eat his flesh? Well, read down verse 63. The, things that I, the words that I speak unto you, they are what? They are spirit and they are life. Just like he's the door, he's the bread. How we partake of him is by reading and obeying this book called the Bible. The best definition of faith I can give you, working definition, Hebrews chapter 1 says it's the evidence of things not um, the subs- evidence of things not seen, the substance... No, I'm getting it wrong. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I got it right. Eventually, I'll get it. But uh, it is simply believing the Word of God to the point of obedience. That's what faith is. That if you... It's... Boy, my brain... I've been breathing too much dust in the basement, I think. Why I cannot get that straight, I don't know why. But uh, it is the substance of things hoped for. Now, when you're hoping for something, you don't have it. But faith is having something before, while you're still hoping for it. That's what salvation is, amen? I do not have all my salvation at this point because I'm not in heaven with Jesus Christ. But as far as God is concerned... Read Ephesians chapter 2. I'm already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm just waiting. It's the evidence of things not seen. You can't see it, but you know it's true. You know it's there. It's provable. Jesus, He is our bread. By the way, what does the book of Revelation chapter 1 and several other places in Revelation say? Uh, it says, not 1, it's chapters 2 and 3. It says, we praise him for he hath made us kings and priests. The bread was the food for the priest. Jesus is what keeps us going. If you want to get spiritually strong, if you want to grow spiritually You must partake of the bread of life. You must take the words of this book and put them in and assimilate them into your life just as if you were to take bread and eat it physically. It is unleavened. It is picture of Jesus as the pure Son of God who paid the price for our sins. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you want life, you must come to Jesus Christ. You must partake of Him. We are now looking at the table of showbread that is up to our right hand. As we turn to our left, the Bible tells us what we would see in the tabernacle would be the golden lampstand. Now, it's interesting here 
the lampstand. In fact, let's just turn there to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. And we're going to start in verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made, his shaft and his branches, his bowls and his knobs, or knobs, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knobs and their flowers, and there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches, um, sorry, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. And their knops and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall be, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuffer dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. Now you read that, and you say, boy, that's tedious. A knop and a flower and a knop and a flower and a knop under two branches and a knop and a flower and all of this over and over and over again. Knop, old English word for knop. There's to be like a ball. The worker that built this candlestick was to start with one 75-pound chunk of gold. He was not allowed to melt the gold and cast it he was to take a hammer and pound that gold into the shape of this thing with six branches and seven lights. Now, anytime you see the number seven, Revelation chapter four and Revelation chapter five, there were seven lamps burning before the throne of God, which were the seven spirits of God gone out into all the earth. It's not, it is the picture of completion, of fullness. All of the light that we need. There's no wood in the candlestick. Because the nature of man does not produce light. The nature of man produces darkness. The nature of man does not provide what we need, John chapter 1, in him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. If you want to just start asking yourself some questions about different religions and, and what it's all about, is that religion about life or is it about death? Testimony of Islam all on its own. One of its greatest uh, living imams today said, you, um, you Western people, you Christians have it all wrong. You think everything's about life. Islam teaches us it's all about death. Hey, there you go. 
self-condemnation. Amen? There are many churches call themselves Christian churches. They're all about death. Everything is about dying. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. John said, In him was life and that life was the light of men. It says, The light shineth into darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. The only way you can see clearly to judge yourself is in the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? How in the world will you see your own sin? Because you don't like to see your own sin. I don't like to see my sin. We don't like to see our imperfections. We don't like to know that we're wrong and be proved that we're wrong over and over again. We like to be right. Don't we? That's human nature. But when we come, Jesus said what? I am the light of the world. John chapter 8. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. What was the Pharisees' biggest problem with Jesus? Is that Jesus wouldn't come to them and bow the knee before them and obey their religiosity. In fact, Jesus ignored them completely when it came to the things of God and had only condemnation because their religion was a religion of the traditions of man and not of the truth of this book called the Bible. That candlestick was to be always burning. Now, it's interesting. Exodus chapter 27, the fuel for the candlestick. Verse 20, Exodus chapter 27, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure olive, a pure oil. Excuse me, let me start that over again. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil which is before the testimony Aaron and his son shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord it shall be a statute forever unto their generations on behalf of the children of Israel now that's Exodus chapter 27 verses 20 and 21 it said that the children of Israel would bring oil olive beaten for the light now I, I used to think, and I, I read through this thing, ah, they took the olive oil after they had gotten it from the olives and they whipped it up to aerate it so that it would burn brighter. Mm -mm. Nice thought, but that's not what it's talking about. The idea of being beaten here, and by the way, uh, Isaiah chapter 53, something about with his stripes we are healed. The way that the olive oil was gathered for the light, it was to be the purest oil. If you took those olives and put them in a press, like a wine press type thing, you would crush the seeds and the skin and you would get other parts of the olive in the oil. And it would not be as pure as it could be. This oil that was beaten for the light was the first gathering of the oil 
In fact, uh, they, the Jewish traditions were the first drop out of an olive was suitable for the light. And the rest of the oil that could be pressed without crushing the olive was suitable for the offerings. And isn't it interesting, the Bible says, not a bone of him shall be broken. And they would not so much as break the skin, let alone the seed of the olive, to get the oil beaten for the light. It was the first gathering of that oil, the purest, the most easily, easily obtained oil in its purest form that was used for the light picture of the life of Jesus Christ, is it not? And that oil was to be consumed on in that candlestick. It was special oil that was gathered by special people, by special traditions. Now, these Pharisees had all kinds of traditions. Nowhere in the Bible does it say only the first drop of the oil of, of, of an olive is acceptable for the light, but these were the traditions that they built in over the years to make it more and more special. But even their traditions point to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't they? And as we look at this thing called the candlestick, the golden lampstand, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Do you remember how much you used to think you understood before you got saved? And then you look back and you say, Man, what a dummy I was. Boy, I had it all wrong. I thought I had it all figured out until I got saved. And then I got saved and everything changed. Why? Because I now look at life through the light of God's Word and the light of God's understanding rather than the darkened window of my own understanding. I'd much rather... Well, uh, we live in a world of opinion, do we not? I hate opinion polls. Because just because the majority hold an opinion, does that make it right? Has that ever been the judge of truth? 98% of all Americans believe, who cares? I don't want man's opinion. I'll take God, though, amen? That I need to see clearly. And, you know, when you look at things God's way, it becomes so simple, does it not? Amen? Does it? Does anybody else beside me believe that? Okay. Life is simple when you look at it God's way. And, and uh, that's as far as we're getting tonight. Our time is up. So uh, this may stretch out into more than a couple of weeks. But as we're going through, Jesus is the door. Amen. If you have come through that door, it's Jesus. You can have salvation. He is the bread of life. You must partake of Him. But that is a... Uh, it is not what people try to make it. Jesus is the spiritual bread. We partake of Him.
by reading His Word. And uh, if God lets me, we're going to spend a whole Thursday night on the living Word versus the written Word. Because that's who Jesus is, amen? Jesus is the living Word. Don't separate Him from the written Word. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to find error. You may miss heaven. If you're not entering in by the door, partaking of the bread of life by the illumination of the light of life, you better check what kind of relationship you have with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful, wonderful pictures. And, and Lord, we pray that we would let them sink into our heart and into our soul, that we would reach out and grasp this wonderful picture book that you have painted for us. Lord, that we would meditate upon them. We would think about these things and, and let them sink to the depths of our soul. And most importantly, Lord, we would live them every day. We would ask that you would let us go forth from this place, understanding we need light from the golden candlestick to see, that we need bread from the pure table to have strength and to do what thou would have us to do. And that it all begins as we enter the door, which is Jesus Christ. We ask you to work during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just take a moment. and If you would like to come to the altar and pray.